pastors, uh, really from across the country, and this Sunday, this last Sunday of the year is affectionately called Youth Pastor Sunday because there are many pulpits across the country which the youth pastor's preaching. Um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, so Pastor Aaron uh, is away with family, uh, celebrating some time, uh, Christmas and that kind of thing, and I, I know that it's been a bizarre year, and I hope that you've been able to spend some time with family in some way, shape, or form. Uh, this Christmas season, but um, regardless whether you're here or not, we welcome you. Some are, are viewing online, or maybe you'll view later. Uh, but um, but welcome, welcome to to Northside. Um, just uh, if you are a uh, a first time guest, or maybe you're a second, third, fourth time guest, or more, and you just have never filled out one of these applications here to be entered into a drawing. Um, <clears throat> think I'm kidding. We do look at them. We pull every one of them gets pulled and we look at it and we would love to know who you are. Um, we just want to be able to minister to you. Um, I, I promise I'm not going to spam your email account if you give that to us. We just want to know how we can minister to you, how we can pray for you. Uh, and, and we do that. We, we, we pray for you each and every week. Um, but we'd love for you to fill that out. You can tear it out and, and place it. There's a little box on the way out the door. You can, you can do that. Or you can hand it to me or Curtis and, or, you know, one of the, the ministers will be happy to, to get that to you. Um, I just want to, to, to mention something quickly. Um, this has been a trying year, as many of you already know. I don't have to tell you that. Uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, Northside. Um, it, it, you've been so faithful in many, many areas, and I know many churches that are struggling, uh, especially financially this year, but you guys, you guys have been so faithful, um, and uh, it, it, really, it, it really means a lot. We've been able to do some, some ministry opportunities in our community, uh, in large part because of your faithfulness, uh, but as we, as we look forward, because we'll do that today. We'll, we'll begin to look forward a little bit to 2021. I want us to remember our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Um, if you're not very familiar with Southern Baptist life, we, we 
don't just support one or two missionaries. We actually are able to support hundreds of missionaries, thousands of missionaries all around the world, uh, in large part because of what's given during this time, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. That's a long, if you had that on the back of your wind, windshield, it would take up the whole thing. But, uh, but it's a good thing. Listen to uh, this, just watch this next video. It'll explain a little bit more. Here in Thailand, there are so many people who don't know God, and no one they know knows God. Thai people have a desperate desire to get rid of the sin that they know they have. They're, they're going to the temples and they're taking money and gold and flowers and anything they can do that they think is good that might erase the sin that they know that is inside them. Am I calling to be a doctor and calling to be a missionary came on the same day. When a missionary came and spoke at our church, he said the line, the saddest thing I've seen after 35 years on the mission field is children sick and dying because there's no doctor to care for them. And it was a like a lightning bolt through my soul. And I said, okay, God, I'll be a medical missionary. Our ministry here takes mobile clinics all over the country of Thailand. Church planners call me up and say, I'm trying to start a new church where there's never been one. Will you come and help me? Medicine is just a means for me to share the gospel with those who have no other access. When I talk about how to take care of their physical needs, it's just so easy for them to see when I start talking about their soul that they need a savior as well. And American churches have partnered with me in that. And they have sent me short-term mission teams that come with me for about a week every month. And we go out and do mobile clinics all over the country. Without the churches coming alongside me, I cannot do what I do. In general, people here do not like talking about spiritual things. But on mobile clinic, we can talk to 100 people in a day, 200 people, 300 people in a day that will come to mobile clinic and there we can share Christ with so many people at one time. It makes mobile clinic a great avenue for sharing the gospel. The point of mobile clinics is to start churches, groups of Thai believers that will go on to grow people in their new faith, to disciple them in their understanding of who Christ is, and to grow them together into groups that will become churches. There's a lot of things that money can't buy. Being able to be here, and see God praised where he has never been praised before. That is a dear joy. Seeing souls saved in areas where no one has ever known God before. Watching them grow in their faith and lead others to faith. And watching them grow together into churches. Seeing churches start where no one has ever worshiped God before. Money can't buy that. And so, also want to just mention in your giving that we have, if you have your bulletin, you can see we have exceeded our goal of $7,000. So, bravo, all the bows are on the tree. And I, I, I just find it interesting that that video um, was not a man who felt called into the pastorate, not someone who necessarily felt called immediately into missions and went to school for that, but he was a doctor who was called overseas in, in missions. And so our mentality, it might be, I have a skill, I have a trade, and God's not calling me to use that in Coweta County, but he's calling me to use it in another part of the world, which can be a bridge to sharing the gospel. I want you to think about that. I have seen it happen. I've been on so many mission trips. One of the largest attendants we had was when we had a couple of uh, county extension agents come and teach about crop rotation and teach about how to take care of their hogs and stuff. And people came from everywhere to learn, and we were able to share the gospel. Just think about how God might be calling you. And uh, may Christ be magnified this morning. Curtis, if you'll come and help us.
If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. We'll be reading from there today. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought him an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Father, uh, thank you for your word. How you've preserved it for us, how you, give, how you have given it to us and preserved it throughout the generations. May it go forward now and accomplish your purposes. We want to magnify Christ today. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, a one-off sermon sometimes is a little more difficult to prepare for than a series of sermons. But this December, uh, I was prompted by uh, someone to read the Gospel of Luke one chapter a day, uh, all the way up until Christmas Eve, and, and when you do that, uh, you know, well, when you read the God's Word, some fascinating things happen anyway. But I came across this passage, and then also, and, I, and I'll share a little bit later, I have a devotion that I've read every, every December leading into Christmas called The Christ of Christmas by Calvin Miller. And there was a devotion in here that, I, like I say, I will share in a moment that led me to this passage today. Do you see this woman? Obviously, the the pericope, the, the narrative here continues on, but that is the question that struck with me, that, 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 that just struck me, um, and, and I just was grappling with that question. And so we'll, we'll do that today. The last time that I, I stood up here, um, well, actually it was just a few minutes ago, but the last time that I stood here to preach a sermon was on March 15th. Um, and that was the last Sunday that we gathered together before we went to a primarily online format. <clears throat> it was also the weekend in which our youth, along with First Baptist and a couple of other churches, were looking to have a Disciple Now weekend. And of course, we, we canceled that event. We thought we would postpone it, and then we had to, we had to cancel it. <clears throat> and ironically enough, the theme for that weekend, and indeed that sermon that day, was simply together, uh, based primarily from Psalm 133. It is good for the church to be together. Now, at the time, I thought that, well, we'll be back in just a few weeks, and certainly by summer, this whole COVID-19 thing will be behind us. We all know that's not the case, and actually, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the time when all of our church family can gather together for worship. But I believe there's more to togetherness. When I speak of being together, I'm not merely concerned with the physical realities of being together. There's spiritual, emotional, mental as well. And see, it's easy to see what is right in front of us or who is right in front of us or to see who is not in front of us. But today, I wonder if, if we can look a little below the surface or, or pull the curtain back a little bit, just so to speak, to see people in a little bit deeper or more meaningful way. 
And that brings us to this passage in Luke chapter 7. So let's just set the scene for a moment. So here are just three primary characters. I mean, there are others who are there, but three primary characters. We have Jesus. Uh, you, you have Jesus, you have the, the Pharisee that we find out his name is Simon, and we have the woman who is unnamed. But in Jesus, what we know up to this point in the book of Luke are, are you know, th- there may be some other things here, but at least these two things. We find out that Jesus is a teacher. We understand that he's a teacher. All you have to do is go back a chapter, see Luke chapter 6. That's just the Sermon on the Mount, which is, which is recorded also in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. <clears throat> so he's a He's a great teacher. But also, even earlier in this chapter 7, we see that he is also a prophet. So we have Jesus, who's a teacher, who's a prophet. He had performed many miracles. He He had raised people from the dead at this point. So he's a teacher, and he's a prophet. But here's something that I don't want you to miss, is he's also clean. And I will talk about that here in just a moment. And we have Simon. Now he's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of the uh, was, was a member of this religious or political party in, in first century Judaism. Um, the Pharisees were very strict and very zealous for the law, uh, but but not only the law of the Old Testament as was given to uh, Moses, but also all of the other laws and rules that they had come up with to try to help themselves. I don't know, feel better or do better or, or whatever. Very zealous. I mean, you, you must adhere to the law. And then we have the woman. Sorry, Simon also, Simon also is clean. But then we have the woman. Now, she's known in the city as a sinner. All right, cleaned up a little bit. It's probably a prostitute. That's what all the scholars that I read seem to indicate, and I don't want to uh, think that I am smarter than they. So I'm going to say she was a prostitute. The Pharisees were appalled at her boldness to enter the house. And she would have known exactly what she was doing by entering in. For you see, she herself is unclean. Or at least all the signs point to the fact that she is unclean. And in our world, in our westernized culture, that idea of clean and unclean doesn't really fit with us. We don't necessarily think of that too much. But look at what what else this woman does. Many scholars believe that her actions would have been interpreted as erotic. Simon in verse 39, he's thinking to himself, if this man really really is a prophet, surely, this, this is obvious, who this woman is, surely he knows who this is. And surely he understands by her being here and her actions, what she's doing. Surely, if he was a prophet, he would understand this. And he would not allow her to be here and to do this. Now, side note, Simon, you're the host. Maybe you're the one. But let me just talk a little bit about clean and unclean. Because like I said, maybe... Sometimes in our Western culture, we don't fully understand that. Now, in Numbers, Numbers 19.22 says this, Anything the unclean person touches will become unclean, and anyone who touches it will be unclean until evening. <clears throat> and then we have this little story from Haggai. If you haven't read that, pick up and read Haggai. You might meet him in heaven one day, and he'll say, I was part of the best-selling book of all time. Did you read my section? You want to be able to say, yes, I did. All right, so here's just a little part. It's Haggai 2, 11 to 13. This is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai answered, I don't know if he had that inflection in his voice, but I'm just ad-libbing here. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by content with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? And the priest answered, it becomes defiled. All right, I said we don't understand that in our Western culture, but let me, let me see if I can help you a little bit. All right, forget COVID for a moment, okay? Let's just go back to normal uh, cold and flu season, okay? If someone has a cold or flu, and they come in contact with someone who doesn't, and that person who doesn't have the cold or flu, they, they, so they, they both sneeze on each other. Does the unclean person or the person without the flu then transfer non-flu to the person that does have the flu? 
No, doesn't work that way. Typically works with the one that has the flu would transfer the germs to the one that doesn't. Okay? Yeah, that's the way it works. If if I'm clean and I touch something that's unclean, I, you know, it what happens is the clean then becomes unclean. That's the way it's always been with the nation of Israel. They have always understood this. But side note, Jesus isn't the same as it's always been. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? When she touches Jesus, he doesn't become unclean. She becomes clean. Because the one who has the power over darkness, the one who has power to give and take life, he has the power to make the unclean thing clean. And that is good news for people like you and me who come into this world as unclean, as sinful, because we can go to him and he can make us clean. Now, that little idea of cleanliness and uncleanliness and clean and unclean, not even the a major part of this sermon, that was just extra. And I won't even charge you for it. Um, but we need to understand that idea to really get a good picture of what's happening in this scene, what's happening at this dinner, and what's happening at this party. Here are the clean, righteous people having a dinner party for the new prophet teacher that's in town. And here comes this woman into the party, uninvited, unclean. And having a, that basic understanding, I want to draw out two points of this party. This setting raises possibilities and concern along two lines that are fairly related. First of all, this is what appears to be a, a Greco-Roman style symposium where you come, you, you, you have a little dinner party, and after the party you have some discussion, perhaps a philosophical debate, and maybe you raise your pinky in the air as you discuss it, I don't know, or you say the word God like you have a steeple in your throat, but it, it's, it, may, it may even break down into almost a little bit of anger. I mean, imagine the Pharisees have people over there with them and, and he's some, some, some new teacher's teaching something that goes against the law. He may get really angry or as King James would say, indignant. Um, we, our Sunday school lesson this morning was about, was about anger and how we handle anger. And so uh, it, it might be that you become anger and even as you would think, righteous anger because you're defending the law. But this is what is happening here. There'll be a little party, there'll be some food, there'll be, there'll be drink, and then afterwards, a conversation. But since this is a religious gathering, there's also the idea of <clears throat> ritual purity. There needs to be some ritual purity that is maintained here. Um, this isn't a party like the Corinthians might throw. No, this is a party in the Jewish culture in which the Pharisee is hosting, this is a very ritually pure, I say party, dinner. And all the more since this meal, like I say, is hosted by a Pharisee. And then the woman who enters Simon's house, whose sinfulness, whose sinful state is evident to all, as, as one commentator says, when she comes into the scene, it's like an alien communicable disease. Now, I hate to really use those words, but I think that helps us understand what's really happening here, especially the pharisaical view of, of holiness, uh, the propriety of Simon's response here. We, we understand that this is really what's going on. And it's in this scene where we have this dinner party with this philosophical religious conversation in which we need to make sure that we are maintaining the purity and the ritualistic purity of, of, uh, of the law that this woman enters in. And it's a shock to the system. And she shouldn't be here. Why is she here? It's very obvious that she's a sinful woman. Not even to mention the idea of class structure between men and women in the first century in, Jew, in, 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 in this world. And it's right here that Jesus speaks. And it's interesting that he speaks. He, he tells a story about two debtors. <clears throat> and if you were questioning as to whether he was a prophet or not, remember he speaks to Simon who had a thought. Simon didn't say something to him and then he replied. Simon had a thought and then he replied. So he, he can read Simon's thoughts. And he tells him this story 
Now, we could look at this story of the two debtors. You, you see it. One was forgiven a little, one was forgiven a lot. And which one's going to love more? Well, the one that was forgiven an awful lot. But I said I wanted to focus on the question that comes after this story. What I believe may, may not be the most significant teaching point of this story, may, but, but for me it's, it was the climax of this passage. Um, and that is just this question. Do you see this woman? We're going to look at this question in two different lights, in two different aspects. First of all, do you see, and I have underlined, this woman? So we're going to look at her for just a moment, and we're going to try to understand what's going on here. It's an amazing question. I mean, of course Simon sees her, right? So what about this woman? Everything about this woman, at least at first, is wrong. Everything's just wrong. She doesn't belong here. And the actions that she performs are inappropriate under any setting, especially for someone like Jesus or any teacher of the law. She is a sinner in the city, or that is to say a woman known in the city as a sinner. Her reputation precedes her. So what is she doing in this house, she heard there was a party going on. She heard that, <clears throat> that there was a, a dinner in which Jesus was going to be there. She's presented as an intruder, at least from one perspective. But now, if, if you go back up to verse 34, from another perspective, she's there, she's known as a sinner, and Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's, at least that's part of his reputation. So perhaps she felt she was okay to come in. Everything is wrong about her except she's humble, she's generous, and she's forgiven. Can you imagine the humility it must have taken for her to walk into that room? Like I said, she knows. She'd been fully aware of what was happening. I'm sure she saw the side glances. I'm sure she heard the murmur, the, 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 the quiet whispers and saw people pointing their fingers. The humility it took for her to walk in there, knowing she would be humiliated. <clears throat> but she's humble. She's generous, and she's forgiven. And what about her tears? And she's crying there. Are they tears of repentance? Are they tears of remorse for what she had done? Are they tears of joy at having found new life in Christ? And then think about her perfume. Maybe the only, I, there's a lot we don't know about her, but perhaps it's the only thing of value that she owns. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet. According to this parable that Jesus told, she's expressing her love from having experienced forgiveness. And her gratitude is expressed in generosity. So what if it's the only thing she owns of value? She knows Jesus. She understands the forgiveness that he offers, and she pours it out at his feet. Forsaking all shame, she's humbled herself to enter this room full of pious and pompous men. She knows her past. She doesn't need to be reminded of her past. And she knows what kind of woman she is. She doesn't seem to mind the eye-rolling, the snide remarks, or the mocking sighs. She just wants to worship her Lord. This unnamed woman belongs to a category of persons who qualify as the poor for whom Jesus has been anointed to bring the good news. So I ask you this morning, do you see this woman? Do you identify with her? I'm not asking if you have the same occupation as she has. But are you humble? Are you generous? Perhaps even more so, are you forgiven this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Look, some of us this morning are this woman and need forgiveness and grace. And I know that in this weird time, we don't necessarily walk the aisle like we used to, um, but 
To do that, it does require humility. To come forward requires humility because we think, what will other people think if I go down? What will people think about me if I go down and speak to the pastor and I need prayer? And What will other people think? And can, can I just say, it, look at the woman. She didn't care. She cared more about what Jesus thought. And I promise you, Everybody that I know fairly well here this morning, there's, there's some new faces, which is awesome, but the people I know who are here, they would be ecstatic that you come to Christ this morning. We would be joyful that you come. Not, there's no shame in that. There's nothing but joy and celebration. That's what happens. The gospel this morning is that we don't have to carry the shame any longer. We no longer have to carry the burden of that sin because Jesus Christ came. We celebrate his birth in this season, but in just a few weeks we will celebrate his death and resurrection. He did that instead of us having to feel that, and he is the atonement for our sins. We go to him and his blood is poured out for us so we can be forgiven and we can celebrate and be joyful. Look, some of us need forgiveness and grace. I don't always agree with everything that Frederick Beekner writes, but I love what he has to say about grace here. Listen to this. Grace is something you can never get, but can only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace. And so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody else is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. The grace of God means something like this. Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party just wouldn't have been complete without you. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid. I am with you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And some this morning, we just need to remember. I don't think, listen, I don't think that it's that we've been forgiven of a little. We've all been forgiven of a lot. Sometimes we just forget how much we've been forgiven. And we need to remember the grace and forgiveness of God this morning and pour out uh, generosity upon Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you make much of Jesus today. But let's also consider this question, do you see this woman? So not just the woman, the question is asked to Simon, do you see this woman? Of course, an amazing question. Like I said before, of course Simon sees her. But Jesus is not giving Simon an eye exam. He's giving him a heart calf. <laughs> He's examining and exposing his heart. Simon was dismissive. Look, Joel Green says this, It was and is easy enough to dismiss such a person as immoral, as well as unclean and deviant, listen, without grappling with the social realities faced by this woman. Perhaps she was a, a freed woman, but... Something that happened to her husband, one way or another, she was detached from her husband. We, we, we don't know. And so she's got to figure out a way, some way to earn money. We, we don't know. We don't know. Um, maybe she was sold by her parents because they were in debt. We just don't know. Today in 2020, I ask you this question. Do you see this woman or do you see this man? Not the one here in the pages of Scripture, but the one that we meet when we leave this place. And how quick are we to judge someone else? The girl contemplating an abortion. I'm not here to talk about if it's right or wrong. That's, that's, that should be evident if you know me. But I wonder, do we know her? Is she terrified? Doesn't she see a way out? I think of my mother-in-law, who counsels with these ladies, uh, recently re retired from that. <clears throat> but uh, countless conversations where she says, had a girl came in looking for an abortion, 
after a long conversation, it's not, it's not as simple as this, but she'll say something like this. Letter to the Lord, and she's going to keep the baby. Wow. We listened and had a conversation rather than just hurling condemnation. The man crying out that his life matters. Have we stopped to at least hear his story? And I can tell you, I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I can tell you so many pastors and teachers, healthcare workers, first responders are exhausted right now. They've been scoffed at and cussed out, ridiculed, told how to do their jobs. Look, here's a, a story a, a few months ago. I was having a conversation with, with a teacher. <laughs> the teacher was ranting about the administration, some of her coworkers, parents, kids who just, did I say her? I should have said his, his co-workers, because it, it was a he. But uh, co-workers that, that, that didn't care, students that didn't care, and then after about 20 minutes or so just said, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess you didn't ask for all of that. Now, I guess I could have gotten my feelings hurt and said, well, you shouldn't be talking about people like that. Or I guess I could have, uh, you know, pretended to be an expert and given some advice because I, I read this internet article about teaching or had read this, you know, I saw this little 30-minute YouTube video. Here's how you ought to teach. But rather, I just smiled and said, hey, man, <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> That's kind of what I do sometimes is listen to, listen to people and, you know, it's a safe place. You can let off a little bit of steam. Uh, it's, it's all right. Can I pray for you? And the guy just needed, needed a little space to rant for a minute. And so I wonder if somebody comes across a little too harshly, maybe stop and see if there's some pain or even some love behind their words. Just tired. And maybe be a source of encouragement. And so this question, do you see this woman? I, I wonder if some of us are Simon today and need to develop godly compassion. Listen, I, I told you one of my favorite devotions this time of year is the Christ of Christmas. <clears throat> I just want to read a, a brief from December 15th, uh, Dr. Calvin Miller. The word Emmanuel is second only to the word Lord in Christian worship. The incarnation is the noblest idea of any world religion. God did not watch human despair from the safety of heaven. He clothed himself in humanity. He ceased watching the human war and became a soldier. Oh, the things that God experienced in becoming a man. And he goes through and lists all kinds of things. And then he, he says, says this. But why did he do it? Because these sorts of things form the fabric of all our living. We cannot live without bumps and pains, without heartache and desolation, without mosquito bites and cancer. Emmanuel was God saying, you shall not bear such pain alone. God became flesh to redeem. Let Jesus be incarnate in your life. And then maybe when you have stooped to serve the desperate and dying, you will hear them say the word, Emmanuel. When Christ becomes incarnate in your life, you will hear those you serve saying to you, I cannot help but believe in Christ. I have seen him in your life. Do you see this woman? As I've begun to reflect back on the obstacles and opportunities presented to us this year, I realize 2020 has been a difficult year for many. <clears throat> Much has been lost this year. I've listed several before, loss of school, graduation, prom, sports, family vacation. We didn't have a church picnic this year, birthday parties, but also many weren't able to gather for funerals or be at the bedside for a loved one who was sick or in the hospital. Weddings have been downsized or postponed. Jobs have been lost. Businesses closed. And then you mix in Racism, protests, and riots, and a bizarre election season, online meetings and school instruction. And that's on top of all of the normal difficulties. I mean, we still have people diagnosed with cancer. There were still people who heard the words divorce. 
Still sickness and poverty and hunger and death. Man, it has been a year. Now, personally, for me and in my family, 2020 hasn't been the worst. Some things were different, but we've been okay, and I praise the Lord for that. So maybe 2020 was your worst year ever. Maybe it was the best year ever. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. But here's, here's what I want to do, at least for me. As I look forward to 2021, based on this passage this morning where we talk about, do you see this woman? Here's just a couple of things that I'm wanting to do. So I know I needed that question. Do you see this woman? I'm not just telling you something I haven't already wrestled with. First of all, in light of God's forgiveness and grace, I want to love the Lord and lavishly worship him. I want God to be the center of my life. One of the things I'm looking to do with our, our teenagers is to read through the New Testament together this year. So I, I, I told them about that this morning. I'll send some more information out to you. But the second thing, based on this question, do you see this woman? Lord, help me. I want to cultivate eyes to see people for who they really are and treat them with godly compassion. And I know I need the Lord's help for both of those things. To see God for who he really is and worship him in humble generosity and to see people for who they really are, to serve them with godly compassion. I asked Curtis and Ann to come up and I've asked them to sing a special hymn for us this morning. Make me a blessing as we close out today. Just ask that you would spend time in prayer. Ask the Lord, what is it that you want from my life today? And let him speak to you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand be before your people this morning, to open up your word. Father, I pray I've treated it well. Lord, uh, I just ask that you help me Help me to truly worship you. A blank check. My life is yours. And Father, help me to serve my fellow man. Father, to lead them to a place where they too may experience grace and forgiveness. Help me to develop compassionate heart. I pray these things in the powerful, transforming name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Would you please stand and sing with us?
it's been good to worship the Lord Jesus this morning. Um, and I pray uh, a blessing over you and your family as we leave. And I uh, just want to make mention, please pay attention to your bulletin. There are no activities here tonight or, or Wednesday night. Um, so we'll gather back here again next Sunday morning. Um, and uh, my prayer is that uh, as we leave this place, Lord, make me a blessing. Let me be a blessing to someone else. Um, I do want to say thank you to Ethan um, and, uh, for, for playing drums for us today and for the last several years. Uh, this is his last Sunday with us, as I, as I understand. But, um, but thank you for your uh, servant's heart and, and playing. And uh, pray that God's hand is on you and that you can be a blessing wherever you uh, end up, okay? Um, and uh, with that, uh, Mr. Ken, would you come and lead us in a word of prayer? <laughs> 